Elizabeth Barrett is a wife, mother, grandmother, licensed marriage and family therapist, educator, eavesdropper, and emotion worker. And she uses all of these skills to address the subjects that we're all grappling with in this conversation with the reluctant therapist. Happy Romantic Tuesday to you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Brad. It is. It's kind of a it's a pre precursor to Romantic Wednesday. Um, it's the eve of, it's Love Eve today on Tuesday, and uh, we're going to talk about love in many, many different forms and fashions today, uh, because I refuse to be that person that gets really snarky about love. I think that it's really easy to get cynical and to call it a Hallmark holiday and to write off love as something that you know doesn't need to be tended to, or my favorite one Love, Valentine's Day should be every day. It shouldn't just be one day of the year. Every day we celebrate our love. And then I usually want to say, and how are you doing with that? Because (laughs) statistically, people are less apt to spend time focusing on and tending to the loves of their life than they are to other things that they're interested in, like their hobbies or their pets. Um, Because... It's less risky to put time and energy into our hobbies and our pets uh, because they're not going to push back in the same way or have the potential for conflict or the potential for heartache uh, that our hobbies and our pets and oftentimes our jobs. Uh, We tend to fall back on this love affair (laughs) with our career uh, as if it's, you know, our most important and significant other experience. And the thing that's interesting about love is that there's just one word. It's just this universal word, uh, love. I love chocolate. I love swimming in the morning. I love watching junky television. You know, I, I love my students. Um, then I love my husband and my parents and my pets. And so love covers a lot. I love a good hair day. It covers, Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, it, it covers a lot of different things. And we all have a very different experience of what it is to love and to be loved. And so it makes it really challenging and difficult to merge our understanding of love with another person because we learn how to love and create those relationships from our family of origin, where where we grew up, who our uh, parents and how they shared love with each other and they learned how to share love with each other from their parents. And there's this generational patterns that are passed down when it comes to intimacy and communication and how we connect and make those relationships. And so imagine if we have very differing understandings of love and love felt different if you were in a home that was you know, pretty volatile, um, maybe chaotic or unpredictable, and yet love was said quite often, then you associate kind of that chaos and that unpredictability and almost feeling scared as what love feels like. Or maybe you grew up in a home that was super nurturing, um, but didn't say I love you often, but there was a lot of that emotional connection and that feeling of support and, you know, just knowing that you're loved because you exist. And maybe you grew up in that home that was a lot of love all the time and sharing the words and saying the words and expecting the words coming back. How we were raised 
to understand the verb of love, the action of love, impacts how we choose and make our long-term committed relationships. It's also how we choose our friendships. Um, It's also how we, in many cases, choose to focus our life. Because if we grew up in a house that was pretty chaotic or fractured or didn't feel safe, it doesn't feel safe to commit ourselves to another person in many cases. So we'll put all of that energy to something else like our career or our hobbies or our animals um, because they love unconditionally and there isn't that fear that something negative might happen. But more often than not, given how patterns work and generational patterns, we tend to be attracted to those people whose style of love reflects the kind of love we experienced growing up in our homes. You know, usually are attracted to someone who's familiar or you're attracted to the opposite to what is familiar. It really depends on how much of the characteristics of your home that you carried with you. So if you grew up in a really hectic, chaotic, uh, almost scary house, and you've taken that temperament or you've adapted that temperament, then you're tending to be attracted to people that are going to be more passive um, because that's the complementary attraction. So someone who's more passive uh, might be overwhelmed by your almost chaotic, scary nature. But I love you so much. I love you so much. Don't you know how much I love you, even though I'm yelling and I'm terrifying and I'm bickering all the time? And then if you grew up in that home and you are more of the passive person because it was so overwhelming, um, you then are going to most, most likely be attracted to someone who shows that love in that chaotic, chaotic, almost scary, overwhelming way. So if you grew up in a home that was just calm and loving and nurturing and you adapt to that style, there's a chance you're going to be attracted to someone who's a little more chaotic and a little scary because there's something about that opposite that might attract you. Um, so we're always kind of looking for that balance in our lives. And, and you can't control that because chemistry is chemistry. And that's one of the interesting things about the research behind love, which, side note, is another interesting thing. It wasn't until the 1970s, early 1970s, let's say late late to mid to late 60s, 1960s, that there was actual research money that was funded to explore love and and the scientific aspects of love and the chemical piece of love. Um, Because every time someone would write a grant for some study about love, it would get kicked back because the people that were funding said, why can't we just have something be mysterious? Why can't we just have love be that mysterious thing? Why do we have to research and study and look at every single thing? But since the late 1960s into current times, there has been a lot of time and money and energy put into studying love, the science behind that, the hormones that we release when we fall in love. um, They're actually called the love hormones that kind of pulse through our bodies when we meet someone and we start to trigger those feelings of attachment. Um, an attraction. And so that the studies around love have actually been at the foundation of some of our more popular dating websites. Match.com 
I actually did one of the largest studies of love and what creates relationships ever done in the history of the world. It was like 10,000 different people were surveyed for this massive study about how people connect. And it gave us some of our most current information, again, about how couples create relationships and what prevents people from creating relationships. And so today I want to talk a little sciency about what's going on with our bodies and with our minds and with our hearts when we fall in love. Uh, there's some interesting research that talks about the addictive qualities of love and how that can lead to some dangerous behaviors. But then there's some counter studies that say it's not addictive because like food, it's fundamental to our functioning. And some people have higher rates of connection to or desire for love and food and sex than others. And so the research around uh, our behaviors in, in love is interesting. And one of the most fascinating studies is about music and love. And that's another of the focuses for today. One is, how did you grow up learning about love? Were you an I love you all the time family? Or were you the, I guess you'll have to figure out that I love you family? Um, and how did you use that to create the relationships that you're in? Have you jumped all in? Are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to have your heart uh, on your sleeve and to say, here I am, I love you? Or are you a little more reluctant? Do you hold back? Are you more apt to put that energy into your work, into your pets? And what happens? when we close ourselves off to those most intimate and meaningful relationships. And then when you start to feel that those love hormones have, have died off a bit or shrunk up, or you're not really feeling that intimacy and that connection with your partner, all is not lost. Because current research is showing how you can reignite those love hormones that were there when you first met each other and get back to that really harmonious, uh, hot, if it was, or satisfying sense of connection and love for your partner. And it has everything to do with music and the music that was playing when you met. See, I tricked you there. Because usually when we talk about music and our love, we think of what was that song that played at your wedding? That's usually our first song. What, that is our song. Right? Most couples have a, a song, our song. And so you would think, well, it's our song is what we should play. And then that's how we identify as a couple. But the truth is, according to this research around music, is that you want to listen to the music that was playing when you first met, before you even really knew you loved each other. But when you first got to know each other and first started dating and kind of that magical chemistry that's happening, and it's actually that music or that song that connects you back to those original feelings that can ignite, reignite, and bring love to your life. So that's the start of the love conversation. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm inviting you to be a part of today's conversation. Our number is 805-781-3875. You can also find me after the show by visiting me at kcbx.org or send me an email to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com. You can also send me a message to our Instagram or Facebook account and check out a couple photos there of people that I love very much. So we'll see where love takes us today. We're going to take a quick break and come back and answer your calls and continue the conversation right here on Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. 
It's not warm when she's awake Ain't no sunshine when she's gone She's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Wonder this time where she's gone Wonder if she's gone to stay Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And this house just ain't no home Anytime she goes away Oh my gosh, I love that song so much. <laughs> Me too, I really do. Wasn't that a good version, a little acoustic version? Great oh. version. You can't go wrong with Bill Withers. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist, and we are talking about love on the Valentine's Eve of love, the most romantic holiday of the year. I don't care, all you haters out there. You can be cynical about love. That's fine, but it's good for you. It's good for your mental health and well-being. It's good for you even if you've been through something really yucky like a terrible breakup or felt that you put your little heart out there and it got stomped on or wasn't respected. It's actually more glorious when you do find that right love, having been through some bad relationships, because it's even more spectacular when you found that person that you just know is your one. And it might not just be that intimate partner one. Maybe that's fabulous friendship that you know you can count on this person forever. Or really discovering that that comfort in relationship with a sibling that you've known all of your life. And then you get to a certain age, you go, I really love you. Like, I really value you in my life. And it's all of that kind of Grinch who stole Christmas sort of thing where our hearts have to expand and expand and expand so that we can continue to bring in more and more love because there is no there is no limits on that. Love actually grows exponentially. The more we allow ourselves to feel and experience love, the larger our capacity and our heart become for more loves. And it doesn't mean that lost love doesn't hurt, but we actually develop a resilience when we allow ourselves to open up to relationships and then maybe get our heart swatted back, but then we open up again. We start to learn that we can recover from any sort of loss, no matter how devastating it is. We can recover. And then we have the opportunity to feel those exquisite feelings of falling in love once again. And so love is is one of the most complex things we experience as human beings. It can be thrilling. It can be perilous. perilous. <laughs> when, when we have those feelings returned, we feel incredibly euphoric. Just never a high felt so good than finding out someone loves us back. And then conversely, when those feelings are taken away or not reciprocated, nothing feels more horrible. Love is something that's necessary, like oxygen, to help us make it through our lives. We need it so desperately, that sense of connection, that sense of belonging, that sense of having our life witnessed by another human being. Those are all essential pieces of, of being a human being. And yet, there's a lot of bad rap out there about love. 
a lot of love songs about being crushed, a lot of poetry about being heartbroken, a lot of cynicism about it, um, research, as I mentioned earlier, about the addictive qualities of love and how you need to watch yourself so you don't fall into the trap of letting yourself go and losing yourself, which is so sad because we'll allow ourselves to get lost in video games for 12 hours straight or get lost in following a sports team or get lost into reading something to the point of not being able to put the book down. You know, we allow ourselves to get lost in other creative outlets. And yet when it comes to love, we have almost this puritanical uh idea that we need to control it and contain it in some way. Otherwise, it takes over our life. And God forbid love took over our life because maybe we wouldn't show up for work. And God forbid we didn't all show up for work because, you know, who would push the levers and and push the buttons? So even if you don't allow love to overcome your entire life, every moment of your life, just this one time a year where you just fully fall into it and let love wash over you. And maybe there's a few other days of the year. But to make that time to say this is a sacred part of my life is important. How you share that opens you up. You know, a healthy love experience equates to a healthy heart, a healthier immune system. Being in love helps us stabilize our mental health and well-being, even when the person we love makes us feel crazy. We that still, never happens. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> we still have a steadier sense of well-being than when we're alone. And that's another one of the ironies that many people say, I, I'd rather be alone than be in love. It's too painful. You know, there's too many things that can go wrong. I don't want to lose myself. But ironically, one of the greatest indicators of mental illness is isolation and loneliness. It's not that being alone is bad. But when we lack that social support system, that person that is our witness, that makes us vulnerable to a lot of physical and mental and emotional fallout. All right. So, th- so that's my uh, pledge for why we're going all in on love. The other thing is how do we keep those love hormones They're called the PEAs, the love hormones, the dopamine, serotonin, uh, cortisol that flows through our bodies when we're feeling those good feelings of love. We also release those feelings when we get massages or when we eat chocolate and strawberries, which is why they're a good part of the Valentine's (laughs) treat. It releases the dopamine and serotonin. When we release those hormones, we bond with the person we love. That pair bond person we have, that, that attraction becomes heightened when we experience those hormones together. And so for couples that have kind of maybe lost their way, maybe have, you know, Someone stopped trying, and when one person stops trying, the other person stops trying. We call it a negative spiral in couples therapy, that a lot of couples, they'll say we fell out of love, but you didn't fall out of love. You just got into a negative spiral of being a little cynical with each other, maybe a little snarky, or saying something kind of rude or passive aggressive. And then the other person responds with that same kind of snarky, passive aggressive. And then you find yourself only interacting in kind of these picky, you know, picky, nitpicky ways with each other. And once you get into that negative spiral, it's hard to come back out. But the key to coming back out is one person having the emotional maturity to say, you know, I really love you and this isn't working. 
I just want us to enjoy our time together. And one motion towards the positive can start that relationship spinning in the positive direction. But let's say you don't have it in you to come up with the words or you're feeling beat down or you just are afraid to be vulnerable. This interesting research about music and love um, has shown that if couples go back and listen to the music that was playing when they first met each other, when those first kind of feelings of interest or attraction started, it ignites those same original dopamine hits and serotonin hits and that flush of new love and memories. I mean, it makes sense because the oldest form of therapy is music therapy. There's some indication that it's been around since the 1700s to help people with melancholia and depression and sadness. So we know the power of music. That's why we're KCBX. <laughs> we know <laughs> the power of music. Um, it's been utilized for years. It was utilized after World War I to help the soldiers coming back with shell shock and to play music from the era was bringing them back. So we know the power, but we fail to know how powerful it is in the most obvious of relationships, and that's our intimate love relationships. So I was thinking about that because when someone says, well, what's your song? I'll usually say, oh, Chris's and my song is They Love Each Other. They played it at our wedding. It was our first dance. Grateful Dead song, for sure, that's it. But the research says, no, no, no. It's not the wedding song you listen to after you've been dating and engaged and it's what you got married to. It's the song that's connected to when you first started dating, when you first were getting to know each other and that love is starting to bud. And that song would be Willie Nelson's Georgia from the Stardust album, which he gave me when we first started dating. And so I think we should listen to a little Willie to set the mood because that sparks my serotonin and my dopamine. Let's do it. All right. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia. On my mind Georgia I mean, holy moly, I have tingles all over. Yes, me too. (laughs) Well, you weren't there. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I got tingles for you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's pretty powerful. And so I want to try this experiment or this research out on everyone. What is the song that you associate when you first started dating and got to know each other. Um, and, and if we're really magic, we might be able to pull it up. <laughs> we could hear a little bit of it. But I'm just so curious and curious if people grab that song and start listening to it and see how it brings them back. What is that song? Like I always, you know, my mom and dad listen to the show. They, they would rarely call in because uh, I think they'd be too nervous. But mom, our number is 805-781-3875. And for anyone who wants to share their song, it's 805-781-3875. My guess is going to be something like the Duke of Earl. <laughs> hey, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe I'll have to find it and play it for my mom and dad. But I, I think of that because that song, this is, that song came up was playing one day or someone, I can't remember how it came up. My mom and I were in the kitchen talking and she started kind of humming that song, the Duke of Earl. And then my dad came in from outside and he was humming the same song. I said, you are weirdos. 
of all the songs. <laughs> and so that power of being able to tap back into those initial feelings can ignite those PEAs, those love hormones. And when we start releasing those love hormones, we start to feel connected and bonded to our partners once again. And that negates a lot of our cultural narrative that has been around for many, many years that love dies or you just outgrow people or that, you know, you can only feel passion for someone for those first few years you're dating and it goes away. But some of the first studies about everlasting love or long lasting love actually came out of Japan and they were act, they were able to show how those hormones were released for people in their 70s and 80s that would still find that passion and that intimacy with each other to reignite even that the sexual bonds so it lives there unfortunately i think we as as a culture get really into this narrative and belief that it doesn't last long and and here's the, the sad part of it is that when we believe that that pair bond can't last, when we believe that story that, you know, one person for your whole life is impossible, then we start opening ourselves to relationships outside of that marriage that weaken the marriage even more. And then we really lose that. And then we really continue that narrative. And it's a sad thing because my last sciencey thing <laughs> is that couples that have been married for 50 years or longer they are called longevous marriages. And when we look at longevous marriages, there are three types of longevous marriages. There are those, a third of them, who say, I'm still madly in love with my person that I've been with for 50 years. Couldn't imagine my life without them. Another third of them say, you know, we have a good thing going. We know each other. It's comfortable. We've made a life. We're witnessing each other's journey. It's It works. And then there's a third of them who say, oh, I probably should have left a long time ago. This relationship isn't great. I stay because I've already been here 50 years. And I'm too scared to go. But if you look at that study, two-thirds of the people who have been married for 50 years or longer are satisfied and often still happily, passionately in love with their original partner. Now imagine when you started out on your journey with your partner, if that was the statistic that you were taught, that statistically two-thirds of these marriages end up being really satisfying, giving you a sense of belonging and being a part of something greater than yourself. How much more energy and effort would you put into that relationship? Our number is 805-781-3875 to be part of this conversation. Charlie Blair, nice to hear yeah. from you. <laughs> What's on your mind today? Yeah, I was going to say, is you're talking about the different kinds of love, there are three Greek words that are frequently translated as love. Okay. Eros, the erotic, uh, romantic love. Mm-hmm. Um, agape which is the support of love in the Bible when they, it's sometimes uh, given as charity. Mm-hmm. It's where you care about. When Jesus says, love our enemies, he doesn't say he wants to, uh, Martin Luther, he didn't say we had to like them. Mm-hmm. You have to, the agape love mm-hmm. is the love you, uh, support of love, even the people you don't like. Mm-hmm. You wish them well. Uh, you don't hate them. Um, and fidelitas, uh, what's known as brotherly love. That's the third. Yeah, the least three that I know of. I'm sure there's other, uh, there's other two, but those are the ones. When you hear the word charity, that is 
when they're talking about um, uh, when the Bible says uh, faith, hope, and charity are the greatest, charity is the support of love. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's meant as a giveaway, but uh, it's the supportive kind of love. Anyway, thank you. It's no, it's, there's no reason. Yeah, it's not unusual for us to have different w- meanings for the same, uh, different implications from some of the same words. Absolutely. Charlie, thank you for calling. I haven't heard from you in a you long bet. time. Have Catch a good day. <laughs> Bye-bye. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. And yes, Love is a universal word that has a lot of different meanings. And part of that early research back in the 70s was around the difference between compassionate love, romantic love, and passionate love. And passionate love is that first initial kind of lust, six to 36 months. And if you start to find that you have more things in common and you build kind of that relationship, you move into what they call this romantic love stage where you start to have common activities, you start to depend on each other, you really like the way the person makes you feel about yourself. So that romantic love kind of is the carrier for six to 36 months. And then about this 36 month mark, you move into what they call compassionate love. And compassionate love is when we love what we can be for someone else and not as much about what they can do for us. So that early love that we feel is generally how the person makes us feel, how we feel glowing, we feel seen, we feel excited, all of the ways that that love sparks our feelings. But the compassionate love, which is kind of considered the long-term attachment love, is really about how we can give and be there for the other. Um, And that has a bit to do with the agape, which technically also means the selfless love, um, where you really are about the other in ways that you don't need for yourself. Love is fascinating. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. Our number is 805-781-3875. And on this uh, eve of Valentine's Day, I'm trying to encourage you and excite you and spark you uh, into making tomorrow somewhat special and sharing that love in, in a way that ignites you and those that you care deeply about. We're going to take a quick break and continue our conversation right here on Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. Look is in your eyes A look, your smile can disguise The look of love It seems so much more than just words could ever say And what my heart has heard 
I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and this is a conversation with the Reluctant Therapist, and we are talking about love and all the ways uh, that love exists, the universal word that means many, many things. Our number is 805-781-3875. And I was talking about kind of that sciencey piece of love, um, that there's a lot of mystery about how we choose our partner and why we choose our partner and how we stay together if we stay together and how we can continue on and move forward even through the roughest and toughest of times. And when we have a culture that really dismisses love as being youthful or uh, short-term, fleeting, uh, addictive, painful, we hear a lot more about love in that negative context than we really do in the enduring, deeply held, sustaining, filling our soul kind of way. And how we come to understand love is often taught to us um, in childhood from our families of origin and how they learn to share love and express love. And part of the way that researchers are finding uh, out about how to help people maintain love for a long time is through music. And they have found that when we listen to the music at the time we first met and were falling in love, not our song maybe later, but that initial spark it can reignite that dopamine and serotonin and those love hormones that help us feel bonded to our partners. 805-781-3875 is our number. And is it Jenny? It's No, it's Ginny, like the stuff you drink. Hello, Ginny. <laughs> Welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Well, I just wanted to say that uh, listening, I, I happened to get my car and I listened to your podcast and We've been married 47 and a half years, and I wasn't really planning anything for Valentine's Day. And I was inspired by listening to you to think, well, I'm going to go get him some flowers and let it, remind him that I love him. Because I think there's times in, in 47 years when you might not feel so loved. Yes. <laughs> so I just want, and, and I really appreciated your, your talking about the music, um, because I because that is really important. When you played the Willie Nelson thing, that's not us, but um, but it just brought back other other uh, songs that we've listened to over the years. So I really appreciate it. I just wanted to tell you that. Ginny, thank you. And I'm just curious, what would be a song that would take you back to that place with your beloved? Oh, um, well, we met so long ago that we used to go, we went to the Hollywood Bowl, and, and um, listen to we listen to um, Crosby, Stills and Nash. Yes. Um, and now, now I can't even think of his name. I think he's still alive, but um, <laughs> it, it was just just thinking about it. I thought that's what, that's kind of what we need to do. Yes. You know, I've I've been out of town. I had an aunt die back east, and I went back and kind of helped clean out her house. And so I've been out of town a lot in the last couple of months. And so I feel like just paying attention to my husband would be really nice for him. Well, I hope you pull out some CSN and maybe CSNY (laughs) and play it tomorrow too. Yeah. Uh, I'm wonderful, Jenny. Thank you for calling in. You're very welcome. Thanks. Bye-bye.
I'm Elizabeth Barrett. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. It's funny because <clears throat> she says that was so long ago. We went and listened to Crosby, Stills, Nash at the Hollywood Bowl. My first thought was, well, that's not that long ago. <laughs> I mean, that's music that I grew up listening to. Um, I was imagining she would say Frank Sinatra or something that felt very old. So music has this powerful ability to bring us back into those memories, just like smell does as well. You know, you walk into your house and there's that certain smell that feels so comfortable and kind of brings you into that space. And so that that power of our olfactory senses, you can bring all of those together, getting the flowers or um, maybe cooking a dish that brings out that love that you're feeling are all really powerful ways to share that experience. I know, Gabe, I'm always putting you on the spot, but I want you to be thinking about, for your generation, what might that song be? 805-781-3875. James, you're on the air. Hi. I I just wanted to say I I was inspired as well about the the music and how music helps people connect. It helps people connect in a lot of ways. Yes. And, you know, it, um, it creates affinity for products. It creates affinity for locations, and it creates, you know, a lot of affinity for people. But m- with my wife, the, the music um, kind of, I guess, ironically, she's from England. And uh, a song that we both connect over is Wild Horses by the Rolling Stones. Yes, I love that and, song. And, of course, she's English, and she likes kind of a country sound. Uh, she likes that easy, um, those easy tunes. And so... We were driving um, up in northern, I guess, Monterey County. We were up in um, King City area, and there's Wild Horse Road. Mm-hmm. And the song came on at one point when we were driving together, and there was Wild Horse Road, and the song came on, and it felt like an omen. Mm-hmm. Kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, funny enough also, I try to put on music when we're cooking. We like to cook together. And when we have the news on the television, it feels very much like routine. It feels like a distraction but then when you decide hey let's put music on it's connection instead Mm -hmm. of distraction Mm -hmm. and you both join in and you groove and i love uh, that i never i never think about that too because it it takes some time to go put the music on or decide what you're going to hear but once it is playing it it makes even the meal more special and the love that goes into cooking that is like a whole love uh fiesta of music and senses. It's, a, it's the second sensory, uh, um, you know, um, what do you call it? Dimension. Yeah. That's so, wow. That's so great. I love that. Thank you for the wild horse memory. I think that's wonderful. I hope you uh, play it tomorrow for Valentine's Day. All right. Thank you. Thanks for calling. All right. So what would be a song that reminds you of feeling loved from the time you're a little kid? Um. This is Gabe. I'd have to go, How Does It Sound by Dylan Schneider. Is that a country song yeah. by chance? Okay. Um, so where were you when you heard this? I was in Miwok okay. with uh, my brother, his girlfriend, my now girlfriend, her mom. And it was just like this first kind of ignition of meeting everybody. And it was on, I think it was playing on somebody's iPad, but we had the speaker going and we're sitting at the table and... It was just everyone was laughing. I, it was just like a careless time of 
nothing. Mm-hmm. And every time I hear that song, I always go back to that day. And it just like even talking about it now mm-hmm. and thinking about it, uh, it's, it's just a really good feeling. And I'm so, I think, truly connected to music. So it really brings back great memories. Yeah, I love that. It's a beautiful way of connecting it together. 805-781-3875. Hey, Larry, you're on the air. Well, hello there, Elizabeth. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm so glad you called in. What is the music that soothes your soul? L is for the way you look at me. No, actually, that's not. But I do like that <laughs> song by Nat Nicole. Uh, well, you are actually involved with it. Um, just full disclosure, you know, I do know you. I do know you. It was uh, the song Waiting for a Star to Fall by Boy Meets Girl. Oh, my gosh, yes. And the name of the, 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 the woman was Lisa Rakowski, and we were at uh, Oakland Bowl in Orchid. Oh, my gosh. That and was a long time ago. It was so long ago. I was like 21 years old, fresh, never had a girlfriend at all. And we had, some, we had a little party. We went bowling. And I don't know if you know this or not. I didn't know it at the time. But if there's like a red pen at the front and you get a strike, it has a meaning. I'm not going to degrade the quality of your show by telling you what it means. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, the song was playing, Waiting for a Start to Fall. There's Lisa looking. She sees the red pen, and I got a strike. And it was just a fantastic feeling. Every, every time that song comes on, I just get a little bit giddy. I love that. And that's interesting that it was connected to Lisa all, like, from this point forward, how many years ago was that, that you can still kind of picture that whole scene. Isn't that wild? Yeah, music, it has that, it just brings you back to that point in time, especially if you don't hear that song uh, frequently. No, that's, I wonder if that's part of the research, too, is that if it's a song, like my Willie Nelson uh, Georgia song that's with Chris that's not something that plays on the air often you wouldn't hear much so you have to almost yeah. search it out and wild horses that James talked about you know and this waiting for a star to fall I don't know when you would hear that again that maybe it has to be that something's a little off and when you do hear it it's almost like fine champagne exactly it's like uh, smelling a scent from your childhood that mm-hmm. recalls all those uh, those sensations you know there's one for you elizabeth that brings you up because of course i love you um you probably have no idea what it is but i know you dance to this song every time you hear it oh my god you're scaring me a little bit okay go ahead Bogda, time and tide yeah for sure for sure uh, i would yeah. actually sing that if we weren't on the air but yeah i i'm with you there Larry, I'm so you know, glad you, you called. You need to you come have, in and do the show with me. What's that? Say again? I said you need to come down one of these Tuesdays and do the show with me. I don't think I've been invited for quite some time. Yeah. And who is that guy that's talking with you right now? <laughs> I'm Gabe. I'm getting a little bit intimidated. How's it going? <laughs> hey well, there. You know, you were talking something. Uh, you were bringing up the point about how you fell in love before you became involved, kind of, you know, those feelings of, oh, does she like me? Right, before you know it's love, yeah. And I think that's crucial. You probably agree, and probably you've spoken about it before, but unlike these talk shows that kind of put a a spotlight on things they don't like about their partner, Mm -hmm. we should probably be thinking about those first moments, you know, Mm -hmm. when we were dating and we first saw them and we're trying to impress them and make that the focus of the relationship because that was like the best person in the world at that time. That's the peacock piece. Lairman, thanks for calling. I'm going to send the invite your way. 
Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Have a good day. You too. So full disclosure, Larry was my radio partner back in 1989. We did a morning show on the Central Coast. And so we have a long history together. He knows he knows a lot of my song stories. But that's a really good point about that right at that moment where you don't even quite know you're in love with the person yet, but they're just starting. And we should focus on that because John Gottman, who's kind of the godfather of um, marriage and and uh, divorce busting and how relationships work, he and his wife have done this for 30 years. And he says that you can tell how strong a relationship is in the first 90 seconds to four minutes of talking to the couple. And you start with the question, how did you meet? And how they tell that story really uh, tells the tale of the quality of that emotional relationship. Wow. I know. All right. So you've heard everyone's stories, Brad. Where is that? What is that song right there at the cusp of falling in love? Well, it's it's an artist mostly, and I'm going to play the most romantic tune that I can think of that he produced. Um, okay. And my wife and I met and bonded um, at a radio station. She came in and was a, a, at the time was helping us with our music catalog and this pretty girl sitting next to me uh, and we're talking and chatting all day. I, I wasn't looking for love, but we started talking about our some of our favorite music, and I went, man, this this lady, she knows the kind of stuff that I dig, and she's like, man, nobody talks about this artist out here. And <laughs> I'm it's, nervous about who this artist well, is now. It's, it's, well, here, it's an artist that's been with us forever, okay. and uh, is, uh, it's a guy by the name of Alice, Alice Cooper. Oh, okay. And much like you, uh, you, know, you guys following The Grateful Dead, we followed Alice later on in, in our, when we got together, much like The Grateful Dead, and met him several times. And he he did us a couple of really good solids at a time when she needed it, uh, spe- specifically when her mom uh, was sick. And uh, but so anytime you want to talk about the foundational music of our relationship, it's going to be Alice Cooper. But I'm going to pick a song from his '70s uh, output when he was really firmly in the mainstream, because I also think it's a great sentiment about our relationship too. And it's and a song- schools out. Uh, no, not today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, this is this is his MOR hit, You and Me. Lay it on me. I want to take you and squeeze you till the passion starts to rise. I want to take you to heaven that would make my day Well, that's a beautiful choice. I like that. Who'd have thought? Really nice song. Cooper would be the romantic type. He is. He he's a a romantic guy, and and one of the best songwriters out there, uh, even despite all the makeup and the and all of the 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 antics on stage. Good choice, Brad. I like that. Thank you. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and our number is eight zero five seven eight one three eight seven five. I am encouraging you to think about tomorrow's Valentine's Day and to proactively plan something and ignite that spark, whatever that is. Go find some music. Okay, and and I will admit, Gabe, that I am kind of a grumper for someone who's so into music. If I'm not in the mood to hear the music and my beloved Chris will be playing music, it actually can annoy me. And I'm feeling a little guilty about that. Yeah, you should be. I know. 
because he's trying to bring in some right good feelings and here's music we like and I'll say I'm not in the mood to hear music right now and even not even a romantic relationship but my roommate I mean to set the tone for the morning or just even if we're going to do something at night it's hey Dean turn on the music yeah. So, and then you start to those memories that you'll come back to. You can remember the song that was playing the night you probably went out. And I think that's why the research is also so interesting because maybe you didn't know you were going to be falling in love, but you got dressed to go out that night with your right. buddies, and that song was playing. And then you met this person. So every time you hear that song, the rest of your life, I remember that night. I remember I met you and we fell in love, and that is power. That, that I, I'm loving the research about this more and more because I'm thinking of those songs that would have been playing right in the moment we fell in love. Gus, thanks for calling in. You're on the air. Uh, this is a great show. This is fun. Thank you. What is the music? What is the song on the cusp of falling in love that you fall back to? Blue Sky by the Almond Brothers. Ah. And how come? I, it just uh, speaks to me and my woman. And tells her how I feel. Aw, I love that. Thank you. Are you going to do something romantic tomorrow? You know it. <laughs> but you're not going to give away any any hints, huh? Yeah, but my friends and my wife is probably listening, so okay. I want to give it away. All right. Well, thanks for calling. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks. <laughs> See, now people are getting inspired. A little late in the show. Everyone starts thinking about it. First, they're a little, you know, I don't know, cynical. Oh, she's going to talk about love and Valentine's Day. It's just a Hallmark Day. But now that you're thinking about it, everyone's like, oh, my goodness, I get this. This music thing is going to be the key. So to go a little deeper into this research, too, I'm going to give you a couple of the other stats from that research uh, that was done about love as a learned behavior and that listening to music helps to release the dopamine and the pleasure neurotransmitters that we also release when we're eating food that we enjoy. So it releases that same dopamine and serotonin. So that's why music and food together, you know, bring those neurotransmitters to life and we start to feel really good. Um, And they are released often throughout the day, not just when we see the person we love, but thinking about them or hearing the music. But here's a little side tip, especially for you, Gabe. Women are significantly more attracted to the opposite sex after having listened to music. And (laughs) those who are in long distance relationship find that creating a playlist together and listening to it helps keep that relationship strong where just texting doesn't do it, but listening to the music. 805-781-3875 is our number. And Robert, thanks for calling in. You're on the air. Thank you. I'm a retired physicist and mathematician. All right. So I have an entirely different frame of reference here. Okay. I call it enduring love. Yes. Three questions. Is my significant other more important than I am? Okay. Are they more important to me than I am? Number two. If we're grocery shopping and all of a sudden a crazy person comes in and he's shooting a gun, would you stand in front of your significant other and take a bullet for them with a smile Mm. on your face? Okay. And the third one for enduring love is when I get up every morning, when I wake up initially in bed, the first thing I think about is my significant other. <laughs> I get a real big smile <laughs> on my face. And if they're asleep, 
I roll sort of halfway over and give them a kiss on the forehead or the cheek, and then I get up and go in the bathroom and start my day. So do you do you satisfy all three of your enduring love questions with your love interest? Yes. My second wife and I fell in love almost immediately when we met. And we loved each other right down to our socks. Aww. We only had eight years because she died of metastatic breast cancer. I'm so sorry, Robert. But I remarried three times okay. looking for that. Yeah. Never found it again. Wow. Wow. That that's that's a beautiful testament to that long enduring love. And we can love more people, can't we, in our lifetime, but they each have a different flavor to them, don't they? Yes. Enduring love means that that like we had eight years together. Mm-hmm. But the the love the ethos and pathos and all of the things wrapped up into it. Mm-hmm. It never went away. In the last three marriages that were complete busts and washouts, I was looking, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, hoping for Maybe that. It's an interesting thing about grief that we often feel like the grief means we stop loving the person we've lost, but actually that love transforms and and becomes a different way of expressing that love. And for you, it sounds like you're looking for, well, where do I take all of this love, this enduring love that I've had? Where can I put that that's a safe place? You know, now that this person physically isn't here, that love itself still exists, those feelings. Exactly. I think the uh, the thing to do is to have people ask themselves those three questions. Yeah. And if they can't get three, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tony the Tiger, great. <laughs> then uh, they got some work to do. Really or they have that. to accept the fact that they made a disastrous mistake and like two uh, grown adults walk away from the relationship mm. or the marriage, whatever, however it works out. Thank them for their love and move on. Well, you thank them for the little bits and pieces of enduring love that were there. Mm-hmm. And you've shared with them what it is. They know. But you have to tell them, hey, you know, to be completely and totally honest, I can't answer in the affirmative when those three questions are asked. So, so long. Been good to know you. Well, I'll have, like to th- I'll have to think about those three now, Robert. I'm getting a little nervous for my husband and I. But I, <laughs> but I appreciate <laughs> you. I am. You I'm anxious. Nervous. <laughs> I got to think go about it. home and grab him and hug him so tight. But I might turn him lip. into the bullet is what I'm saying, Robert. <laughs> I might be hugging him so hard that I turn him. I'm just kidding. I hope I'm kidding. Robert, have a wonderful day. Thank you for calling. And I appreciate you uh, kind of pulling it together for us today, this conversation about love. I don't know. The, wow. the the interesting thing about enduring love or everlasting love or eternal love, however you put it, again, going back to the sciencey piece, is that we tend to look at love and how we're feeling moment to moment. And that's what gets young relationships into trouble. Because if you look at your relationship in the moment to moment, then you're probably going to be leaving, maybe come back, then leave and come back. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. I love you. That that really impetuous TikTok style of love that's just in bursts. I'm happy right now. No, I'm not happy. I must want to leave you. I'm happy. I'm not happy. That 
harms long-term relationships. Real everlasting love is when we look at the relationship from the end back and imagine what that story is at the end of our life. And that really helps couples to create that enduring relationship that it's not about the moment to moment, but that you look at the long span of that lifetime together and that we're shooting for the 70-30 rule, that 70% of the time it was pretty darn good and I'm happy I took this ride. And then expect that 30% of the time you're going to be somewhere between why is this so awful and things aren't so great? But 70% of the time, if you know you can get that, then you're in a good space. So please enjoy tomorrow. Make it fun. Make it lighthearted. Make it joyful and playful. Be a kid again or an older person who just loves life. Yeah. And let your heart expand. Make this an opportunity that your heart expands. It's good for your immune system. It's good for your mental health. It's good for the planet. The more of us that face the world with love in our heart, the change in that energy around the universe is palpable. And this has been a conversation with The Reluctant Therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. You can send me an email to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. You can listen to previous shows at kcbx.org. And you can podcast our show wherever you get those podcasts. And I am leaving you today with one of the corniest love songs ever. But it makes me cry because it's such a beautiful sentiment. So Celine Dion, bring it on. This is Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. For all those times you stood by me, for all the truth that you made me see, for all the joy you brought to my life, for all the wrong that you've